my eldest has now seen me drink, you know, he, he, not as, not not very often, but he, he's seen me drink back in the day and he's seen me drunk and he's seen me in some silly ways. But my 11 year old will probably go the rest of his life now not seeing me drink. And my daughter, who's, my daughter who's seven, she won't remember me drinking and definitely my youngest will never even know that I've drunk. Mm. So I'm, I'm hoping in my, in my head, you know, and giving them, I'm giving them a gift. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic and I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. How are you doing, folks? I hope everything is okay. I am currently in Los Angeles still. Although I'm getting more confident about jumping on a plane and going back to the UK. I believe people are doing that now. So I think I'll go back there and see my son for a month. And I think I'm going to do that pretty quickly because I have a feeling that maybe in the future there may be another lockdown. Uh, Yesterday, I went to... Laguna Beach, you know, Saturday and Sunday when at Laguna Beach, my in-laws were at a timeshare there. So we went to spend some time with them. And as we were driving through to get to the timeshare, it astounded me the sheer number of people who were walking around and didn't have a mask and were sitting basically right on top of each other in restaurant and were just standing in lines right next to each other in restaurants. And I said to Liza, it's Am I missing something here? Like, has this been a big joke? Have I been hiding in the house for three months and in reality the world has just been going on as normal? And um, it was very, very strange. Uh, on the, yeah, on Saturday night, we actually stayed in a hotel and my wife, me and my three-year-old daughter, we we were the only ones in the hotel wearing masks and um, it felt very odd. I guess it felt, a little bit like when you are the only person in a pub who doesn't drink alcohol, you feel uncomfortable, like there's something wrong with you, like you are a defective or a bit weird in some way. And, you know, those feelings were going through my mind um, and also going through my mind as well. And this is to do with, you know, what's going on with the Black Lives Matter thing uh, that's going on at the moment, you know, is uh, being the only Asian people in the hotel when everyone else was white. It just made me feel a little bit apprehensive for the first time since I was a kid. I haven't had to worry about being uh, half Chinese since I was a kid because, you know, it's never really affected me in my adulthood, really. But I started to think about it a lot. I'm reading a lot more about it and I watched the uh, documentary on Netflix 13 the other day and yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think about this whole thing a lot. And I wrote a big lengthy post about it on Strive the other day, just uh, emptying my thoughts around coronavirus, return to normal, Black Lives Matter, you know, and my thoughts around racism and prejudice and confirmation bias. And I think it's really important in this day and age, in this time, that we do spend some time kind of trying to understand what's going on because it will help our dialogue a lot more. 
So I, I even told my boy Jude this morning, look, you know, watch this Netflix documentary 13, you know, now just watch it. Just so you could be a little bit more aware about the history of what's going on at the moment and the conversation that's going on at the moment. Uh, so if my boy is caught in a conversation with somebody in work or something, that he can better handle himself in that conversation because he's more aware. And with something as divisive as what's going on in the world right now, you know, I listened to a Sam Harris podcast the other day, um, pulling us, can we can we return from the brink or something it was called? And he starts out by saying that the tragedy of what's going on right now is we can't talk about what's going on right now. Uh, because if you don't agree 100% with everything that is coming out of the Black Lives Matter megaphone, so to speak, using that as an, uh, a metaphor, uh, then people are just too quick to call you a racist. And that's a shame because I think that we should be able to air our uncultured, very human views and talk to people about our state of confusion around all this. And in talking about our state of confusion around this, I think what will happen is we will start to refine and understand our belief systems around what is going on. We will be able to understand how affected we are by prejudice. We will be able to understand our history a little bit better. We'll be able to understand our confirmation bias. And that will help us to communicate more effectively. And I'm reading a book called The Globalization of Addiction at the moment. And it talks about, they use Vancouver as an example of free market society, I suppose, capitalism being at the crux of all forms of addiction. So they talk about the Brits arriving in Canada, uh, completely massacring the native uh, North Americans, destabilizing them, ripping them out of their culture, uh, not allowing them to have a culture, just changing their lives irrevocably, right? And then what happens as a result of that influence is a, a mass dislocation. And the author of this book says that Throughout history, you will see these forms of dislocation occur, and these forms of dislocation lead to addiction. Um, so if you think back to what went on in the slavery uh, era, uh, that was a mass form of dislocation. You know, people, black people didn't come to America, they were dragged to America, right? So that dislocation, that loss of your culture, your heritage, your human, your humanity, uh, leads to addiction. And in loosening the grip, the ninth edition, so you're talking, you know, stats going back to 2004. So be very mindful of that. You know, I've, I've actually ordered the newest edition, which is 2019. Um, but going reading the 2004 stats, uh, Black people and Native Americans uh, were drinking more heavily than white people and other peoples of color with the Asian uh, population right at the bottom of that. Okay. Like they're the ones who don't drink as much. Um, whites uh, drink more uh, than any other color, but it's uh, blacks and native Americans who get more fucked up than anybody else. And this has, I'm starting to feel strongly has a very, very um, heavy link with dislocation and alcoholism the invisible violent dominant belief system is an aspect of that dislocation and it is non-relational. 
Okay, it is non-relational. Alcoholism is non-relational. Dislocation is non-relational. So we have to improve our relational literacy. We need to get better at talking about these things and understanding these things. We need, need to get better about talking kindly and compassionately to ourselves, and we need to be better at doing that to other people. And you need to practice. And if you don't feel comfortable um, going onto Facebook or going to talk to your family or going to talk to your friends about these issues right now, then you need to find somewhere where you can. And 1,000 Days Sober is a beautiful place to do that. So, for example, I could not talk to my parents about Black Lives Matter. I could not talk to them about it because it would, it would be very difficult for me um, not to hold an opposing view to them and to get into an argument. Um, I, I just would not be able to have that rational discourse Yet I feel a lot stronger that I can have that rational discourse on strike because I trust people, because I'm dealing with people who are more like-minded and understand uh, the need for us to be vulnerable and to, and, and to see this uh, conversation starter as a gift, to talk about how we feel about coronavirus, to talk about how we feel about racism, to talk about how we feel about the marches and the protests. I think it's a gift because it allows other people to take the heat down on the thoughts that are currently marinating and reaching boiling point inside their own heads and inside their own hearts, okay? So if you're struggling right now, come over to 1000 Days Sober and uh, come have a chat with us. Um, we're not offering a free month anymore at 1000 Days Sober, reason being people join the free month and very few people get involved in anything. It doesn't work. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I tried this over the years. It doesn't work. Whenever I give anything away for free, it really doesn't work. So we're going to go back to charging people £40 a month for it. But if you're, so get over to www.1000daysober.com and sign up today. We can really help you become people that don't drink alcohol. We can, we give you support system on the, through Strive and that community aspect. We uh, improve your education around alcoholism and the truth about alcohol through the 1,000 Days Sober experience. Uh, those six phases, stuck, thought, ready, initiative, vigilance, and enlightenment. Yeah, that's our stride model for change. And we will help you to uh, become people that don't drink alcohol by uh, watching three uh, lessons a week and doing uh, next steps on those. Uh, we're also going to be giving you access to our Strive Coaches and Strive Ambassadors online workshops for free. And we're going to be creating a plethora of online workshops that are going to be an addendum towards the 1,000 Day Sober experience. We are going to charge money for those. And if you're a 1,000 Day Sober member, we're going to be giving you up to 50% off those. All right. So it's really worth joining. £40 a month. It is not a cost. It is an investment because we will save you thousands in money that you would have otherwise spent on alcohol so what else have i got to say uh we just switched the 1000 day sober podcast from soundcloud to podbean uh so get over to podbean and uh download the app and you can comment and, and uh, interact with me there or uh, if not just send me an email truthaboutalcohol@gmail.com, and have a chat with me and uh, we can make that happen okay uh, let me know if you want me to get a particular guest on. Let me know if you want to come on, you know, and let me know any feedback. I really appreciate it. Get over to Instagram, 1000 Days Sober, 
Instagram, and also YouTube, 1000 Days Sober YouTube. We've got a lot of great videos coming out there, uh, courtesy of the Stride team. We're getting our noggins together, thinking about a, a subject, and we're, we're putting out a video. So get over there. You'll really enjoy that. Uh, last but not least, I'm writing a book. Yep, I am writing a book. So I'll let you know when that is out and you can buy that and wrap your head around that. Okay, so on to our guest today. Oh, before I get on to our guest, I want to welcome Ashley, don't I? Yeah, I do. So Ashley is from America, but she's currently in the UK, but she's on her way back to America. She got stuck there in lockdown. Uh, Ashley is one of those people who took advantage of our three months, really got stuck in, became an instant uh, hit with the community, and she's now joined as a paid member. So uh, Ashley, uh, welcome. Uh, to strive official welcome to strive in the 1000 days sober experience i know you're going through a super 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 tough time right now and i just want to say that we're there for you uh that we're going to pour all of our love into you and all of our presence and hold space for you uh for as long as you need it i hope everything works out with you with your husband you move everything okay and your mother-in-law everything actually okay uh we're here for you all right now, on to our guest, Lee Bonington. He's currently on Instagram as a sober runner. Quite like what he's doing there. Uh, he's sober now, so he's running. He's a bit like, um, what's that guy? Uh, Forrest Gump. He's just running around the place, you know, sweating him, sweating his uh, balls off, uh, talking about sobriety. Uh, and this is what he said about himself. He said he's the proud father of four children, uh, Teddy, Henry, Florence, and Ralph, 18, 11, 6, and 4. So he's very busy. He's married to his long-suffering wife, Alexis. He lives in a little town called Wickford in Essex, and he's a project manager for a fire protection company. He was born in the east end of London in a town called Dagenham, and he was one of four kids. He said his life has basically revolved around drinking like most people in the UK and probably the world. So it's all he's ever known. And he said he knew from an early age what sort of person he knew he wanted to be, uh, but like most people, he got deterred away from that. And he's led to believe that pubs, lads, holidays, working just to work and pay for those holidays is, is the norm. He said he used to drink most occasions that occurred in his life for good news, bad news, football. Uh, he would drink to open an envelope, he said. Uh, now I would not put myself in the same bracket as alcohol dependent people, meaning I would not need a drink daily. But I would say that socially I would need a drink. It was a great, he was a gray area drinker, he says, for most of his adult life. When he hit his 30s, he did start noticing changes in his behavior. After he'd had a night out and a skinful, it didn't seem to sit right with him anymore, and he knew it was time for him to stop. Fast forward to his 35th birthday, uh, and he did a couple of months of no drinking. He enjoyed it, but again, went back to the normal gray area drinking. He wasn't really ready, he says, but around this time last year, he said, this is it. His wife rolled her eyes and said, I've heard it all before, but he said he's learned so much about himself in that time and answered so many questions that needed answering and also opened up more. And he realizes that alcohol has been woven into the very fabric of his life. Uh, and at a very basic level, how can something that makes you apparently feel so good make you feel 10 times worse? Um, is it worth it? He decided it wasn't, and he's decided to open up completely and share what he's learned with others. Uh, we got him on because, you know, part of that strive model for change stuck is the phase where people get stuck. They just don't know how to quit alcohol. Lee's just gone through that just recently. So we got him on to talk about talk about the stuck phase of the strive model for change and, you know, share his experience and uh, to tell us how he got out of that. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of the sober runner, Lee Bonington. 
Lee Bonington. How's it going, my friend? I'm okay, my friend. How are you? That's good. That is a pretty impressive beard there, Lee. I, I, I try. I've tried. It's um, it's my wife's doing. She told me 12 years ago, you should have a beard. And I said, no, beard's for old people. And then it become trendy. So I grew one and um, it just turns out that I'm all right with it. They look yeah, quite good on me. Pretty cool. Like I, I've, I can't grow anything like that. No, it's, it's, I mean, I'm quite lucky. It sort of grows in the bits here and it and um, just, in fact, I'm pretty hairy all over, which is, you know, I'm like a sort of, I'm like a sponge. Yeah, I have an, I have an airy ass. That's about it. <laughs> not, yeah. not, not the most like pleasantly appealing part of my body. But yeah, I've got hairy butt. hair all over. I'm, I'm hairy all over for quite a fair, a fair person anyway. I mean, it's interesting you talk about hairs actually, because, you know, we're going to we're going to talk and focus today on why we get stuck when it comes to you know for for people listening who who don't know you know the 1000 day sober experience our workshop if you like that lasts 2.7 years and helps you get to 1000 days sober it splits down into six what we call uh, phases of the strive model for change and that is stuck thought research initiative vigilance and evolution and the first phase is stuck and it's it's a phase where we work with people who they know there's a they know there's a, there's two types of stuck people it's the, my dad right who has no clue that he has a problem with alcohol and he loves it and he's never going to want to quit but he's still yeah. stuck he just hasn't got a clue that he is and then you've got people who know that they have got a problem but they're not they don't know what to do about it and they just oscillate between Drinking, stopping, drinking, stopping, drinking, stopping. Yeah. They kind of like really don't know what to do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to start by this hairy thing. It's a good segue into that. Uh, um, the, hairy thing, the hairy thing being me, or no? Well, oh, okay. So I'll tell you. I understand. So when I was a, when I was younger, I always uh, had this issue of not fitting in, right? And um, I always. Felt like I was different to everybody because I was half Chinese, uh, living in a pr- predominantly white area. I was Mancunian, living in South Wales. And I was the last kid in my year to have a pube. Right. So I would be in like football changing rooms looking mm. around and I would be the only bald one. There'd be people with bushes as impressive as your beard and I wouldn't have anything. <laughs> um, and the reason I'm raising that is. It was massively, massively problematic for me. And you can add spots all over my back to that as well, right? So you're already a teenager, not quite sure where you want to be and what you want to do in the world. Mm-hmm. Add a lot of spots on your back and your face and no pubes and stick you in a, the, the masculine environment of a football mm-hmm. changing room. And someone comes along and says, do you want a pint? Like, are you really going to say no? Like, it, it's yeah. just to me, it's... It's more than the world is set up as an addictive system for you to drink. It almost feels like it's like ingrained in your like your genes. Like people say, like, oh yeah, my dad's alcoholic. It's in his genes. I, I, maybe it's in all of our genes that we feel this low self-esteem. Not to drink alcohol, but we all feel like we're so at odds with the world. And then addiction comes knocking, and it's no wonder we don't take a drink. Mm-hmm. Any of that relate to you at all when you were growing up? Uh, do, uh, probably ninety nine point nine percent of that. Apart from, <laughs> from the pub, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I, yeah, it, um, coming from um, an East London area, 
scale called Dagnum. I'm sure everyone knows Dagnum Motors and where Fords are and stuff. You know, I went to a normal school, you know, drugs being dealt outside the, 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 the playground, who's in the news of the world and all that kind of, kind of stuff. Probably the drinking started probably earlier than, you know, than it should have. Mm. Um, namely, just over parks on a Friday night. Yeah, and that, and that could be, you know, because you look a bit old enough, you can get down the off licence and all you're doing is watching some people me personally, watching people a few years above you, drinking, you know, you're hanging about with girls. And to be fair, no no sexist kind of comment, but girls back there, you know, maybe now, I don't know. Uh, but, but kind of, they was kind of forwards a little bit more than um, than the boys. But again, like yourself, I played football too and um, at, at a decent level and uh, I could have, same, I, I was listening to your story on YouTube the other day, um, you could have gone a bit further. Mm. Um, and I was doing really well at the time at, at Charlton's and, you know, little things like that and what have you. But, and also played music in a band. I was, I was, I was, I played guitar in a, in a band. So from that kind of age, I, I felt a little bit outside because it wasn't the kind of music that everyone that I knew at school was, uh, was, was into. So I sort of kept that from everyone. I kept all my music and all my kind of stuff from everyone. And, um, from that day, from, from keeping stuff back, it, it, it dawned on me, especially now when I look back, that, um, I was going into an area of, with people, and the idea that I was gonna, it was some, I was gonna be someone else instead of what really what was at the, my sort of fund my core of what I really enjoyed. Same, same with you. My, my, my granddad was the he was the, the vice president of the Dagnum Working Men's Club. You know, Saturday night, his bands on. Every family from all over, you know, Dagnum uh, go down there. Everyone knows each other. Everyone drinks. The women go home a little bit early take the kids so the men can sit around and drink a little bit more and talk a, a load of bullshit basically um so yeah that's 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 where i come from and um you know it sort of escalates from there don't it, it i mean sort of escalates just, just from from there touch on uh, just, let's probe this a, a, a little bit more so what you were saying was you you were getting into music and you liked hmm. the music side of it but mm-hmm. you at some point so that's like who you are at the core and yeah i love it definitely. but but you you then started to behave in ways and get into things that were more aligned with the group or the tribe. Mm-hmm. Right? Was there a specific tribe you wanted to join when you were younger? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I really, really wanted to be a musician. But uh, I don't know if it's just because of where you come from and, um, and the working class kind of side of it. And um, maybe, maybe at the age of, maybe if I was a little bit older, I could have thought about it a bit more but I went to college straight from school when I was doing music and uh, all of my mates went out to to work straight away um, so I weren't and in fact I was working in an off license mm. on a Thursday on a Thursday night and a Sunday night and I was only like 16 which is not which is a bit weird so first of all I was in an off license and I was doing my music but I got sort of six seven months in and everyone was earning money and it was all going down the pub and you know talking about lads holidays and stuff like that all my friends and um, with all due respect to them and I still see most of them now and they're lovely people um, I didn't want to do that I know it I knew in my heart and in my body that I didn't want to do that and in my mind but sort of so I, it must it, something must have just clicked and thought oh no man you know, I'm missing out here I'm missing out on this this money they were earning and and I want to be part, I think I want to be part of that. And it's, it's sort of, it, it must have been, just, it was a choice then really. And it was it probably not, a, wasn't the best choice, 
but maybe it was the right choice at that age at 16 when I thought that's what I wanted. So I gave up the music. Um, I carried on playing music, but not a, a sort of uh, academical side of it. And then, you know, straight away, you, you're into sort of manual work then. Um, and then the years kick on, don't it? The years kick on and uh, you, you just end up going from sort of space to space to job to job and, until you realise and you get to 37, really, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's this space in between that that, you you know, I start thinking, I, I would thought a lot about things. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's oh, definitely... There's uh, there's a part of that that I want to pick apart a little bit because yeah. it's a it's a part of the learning that we go through in the 1,000 Days Sober experience. You know, yeah. you, you, when you were talking about you have to you had to make a choice about whether you were going to pursue what seems like your vocate what we call a vocation, right? Your meaning and yeah. purpose, like being a musician, yeah. or you sell your soul to the devil to go and mm-hmm. fit in and uh, you know be like everybody else type of thing and then you said um you know i made a choice back then and looking back now you know maybe it wasn't the right choice but then you said but maybe it was at the time right so i want to talk about that a little bit yeah yeah there's this uh, theory called resignation that's in a book called um the species of denial by uh, an evolutionary biologist from australia called jeremy griffith and it's about the human condition right so it's a it's a big treatise on why human beings can be Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. Yeah. How, how we've got in extreme evil inside us and extreme good and, and what that's all about. And he says that when you get to your teenage years, you're, you're still, you, you've still got this kind of essence of child in you and you've got this creative urge and desire. You've got the arts within you. You've got this playfulness that you want to do and you've got love and kindness and happiness and you've got all these kind of childlike qualities and that is naturally who you are as a human being. But then the world mm. doesn't want you to behave like that. Yeah. The, world, the world wants you to be an addict. The world wants you to fall in line. The world wants you to behave in a certain way. And then, and then that manifests itself in our parents, in our teachers, in our leaders, in our football coaches. And then that comes down to our friends. And then everybody suddenly, there's all these white sheep going over here somewhere. And they're all doing these things that they're supposed to do to fit in. And we then experience this intense loneliness because we're the black sheep, right? And yeah. we we have these conversations. Sometimes we remember having these conversations and, and sometimes we don't. And it's around, oh, um, I could be lonely right now and, and pursue my dreams. Mm. Or I can, I can give that up and be with the tribe. And what he says is the ones who find the ability – to um, be, remain a black sheep, yeah, uh, they become really exceptional, you know, when they're older. Be, but they go through an incredible amount of suffering, and then yeah. the one, the ones who go with the crowd, they don't get that suffering, but they really find it difficult in later life because they they're now lost because they went down a road, they wore a mask, they put on armor, and they became completely unrelatable to anybody around them, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that links in perfectly with addiction because you you start to drink alcohol not because you want to but because you feel you have to. Does that sound, seem about right? Yeah, I mean, um, going back on that, I sort of and and being a being a mu- not I'm not I'm not a professional museum uh, mu- museum musician, but I sort of you know I, I loved art and I loved to, to, to uh, anything to do with kind of creativeness. I was I was interested in. And I always thought doing that, 
I was an extrovert person because um, I was, you know, life and soul of it all and funny guy. Everyone knows Lee. Lee's a funny guy, you know, um, and he's always up for a laugh and a joke. And I think when I think back now, when I, if I carried on with what I wanted to do, because everyone see me as an extrovert, I actually thought I was an extrovert. And, you know, maybe being, being on my own doing music, I'd have to be really sort of insular and sort of on, a lot on my own, like as you was just saying. So I think um, a little bit of not peer, not I don't think it was uh, peer pressure. They they knew they was putting on my friends and anyone really that was those putting on me. I don't think they knew that, but they're sort of every time they say, you know, come out, you're so funny when you come out and drink, you know, you make everyone laugh. That was like that was like a sort of oh man, you know, maybe that's maybe that's for me. Maybe I am an extrovert. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this uh, introverted musician thing on my own. So, yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. Well, the, the extroversion side of it is, uh, is really important because in our desire to fit in as a young man, especially working class, yeah. extroversion is seen as uh, a stripe on the arm, isn't it? If, we, yeah, if we're an introvert, then we're a nerd. So we, we all have this capacity to, to vary on the introversion, extroversion scale, but as young teenage boys – we really, we really tip ourselves for extroversion, don't we? But I, I knew, I knew that I was a thinker. You know, I knew I liked to be on my own, and I knew that um, writing songs and stuff like that, and anything creatively, is quite a, you know, it's an intense sort of internal thing. Mm. So I was, I was quite, I knew I was like that. Um, but for some, for some reason, it could be again, it's, it must be socially, culturally, whatever you want to call it. Um, when I when they when I was getting fed this kind of you know you've got to come out you're so funny you know this girl likes you because she thinks you're funny it, it, uh, the ex- that I thought then that maybe hey, I'm an extrovert I'm an extrovert but deep down deep deep down that wasn't out yet for a long time I realised that I can still be seen as an extrovert because you know weirdly you have to sometimes do that especially as you get older in certain situations but. Um, but I knew deep down as well that I was, I was still, I wanted to be, I like being alone sometimes, you know, in my own thoughts. Mm. And that's where I am today, obviously, with that. But yeah, it's, um, it is, it must be, it must become, I don't know, it's not just a working class thing, it's not, that's just silly to say that. But um, the stripe on the arm thing that you was just talking about, maybe that's that kind of, the, the, like I think I've heard, I've heard the thing loads of times, fight or flight kind of thing, you know. It's a, it's a fight thing. There's lots of people about that you've got to try and be bigger than or better than, uh, especially, you know, and I know coming, coming from Manchester and whatever you are and uh, them sort of areas. Um, that's the way you have to sort of be seen, I think. Otherwise, uh, being an introvert, you get classed something as something else sometimes. I mean, I, I, do, I do think that the class issue plays a part and, Mm-hmm. This is, is going to sound massively controversial, right? Yeah. But when I think back to my working class roots, mm-hmm. we were all pretty close-minded. There were certain traits we had. We were we were hardworking. Mm-hmm. We were um, we had serious opinions and judgments of of anyone who wasn't in our class, particularly mm-hmm. higher class. Yeah, uh, in Manchester we had a real issue with like the South. The South was it's funny because the South was seen as being upper class. Um, yes, no. but there was there was <laughs> there was. There's not been to Dagenham. No. <laughs> there was there was an 
there wasn't that culture of talking with your kids about life in a growth-oriented way. So, like, I got a three-year-old now. You know, we allow her to experience her emotions. Yeah. We, we try to help her do yoga. We try to help her meditate. We try to help her say grace before meals without even believing in God. We give her the option to, to believe in different faiths, all that kind of stuff. But when I was younger, it weren't like that. It was like, Lee, when you're 16, you're going to leave school and get a job because that's what we do. And we need your money in this house, right? <laughs> so, so surely if you're in that class of people, you are likelier to become addicted than people who are outside of that class and are being educated more about life, feelings, yeah. Yeah. you know, loneliness, yeah. despair. And, and then, then you could be like, oh, I don't – like my, my daughter hopefully will be able to say, well, I, no, my dad doesn't drink. I don't, I don't, I don't need yeah. to drink. My dad doesn't drink. He's pretty cool. But when we were younger, everybody drank like – my, yeah, I mean, my, I'm sure my dad. Hopefully, mum and dad listen to this. My dad, my, my, my dad was a drinker, but not like um, again. We we all say all say all the time. Not not an alcoholic, but um, someone who would go to work. You know, worked at a factory respectfully and um, bring home the money and pay for us to do everything we could. My mum worked two jobs, that kind of thing. But when I when I look back now, you know, he got to. I, I can remember him getting to kind of. 40 so yeah and my my sisters are twins they got you know they're younger than me and my brother's older than me so there's four of us for a man who worked a shift work in the night you know different shifts and a, a mum who done two two jobs to, to make sure he's okay and then go down to the pub on the friday and the saturday uh, also a big fulham fan as well so you know he used to go to fulham uh, travel to fulham every saturday that was his, his only outlet, mm. his only outlet from getting away from four children um, and a job that he probably didn't like, and God bless him, he's still here with me, obviously, but he, that, that, him going to Fulham I don't, or to watch football, and, and he would never have been able to go there if he, if he wasn't drinking because obviously it, was, it just wasn't seen to, to be done like that, you know, and he'd get there and he'd drink. Mm. But he also had a lot of problems, not, not drinking, not... Um, he had emotional problems as well. So he had to, in the end, have some sort of some therapy and stuff. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm glad, I'm hoping, I'm hoping he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> I really do, you know, but he did and, and he struggled. So yeah, and he ended up working for the Royal Mail and he had to go to therapy just to, just to sort of stop and, and, and think for a minute, you know, because he had some bad times. He had some terrible times. And I'm sure like your parents, um, his dad was a drinker, you know, and his dad was that kind of fella. So I think, I don't know where that, that time has come, especially you, yourself with three. And I've got, I've got four children and like my oldest is 18, but my, my youngest is five, uh, five or four, sorry. Um, how, I don't know where, it, where we've started now and where we've got to that point where we sort of, we start thinking for them differently. Um, my 18 year old, he, you know, he, he's, he doesn't drink. He, well, he's had a couple of drinks and um, I had to pick him up the other month. From, from drinking, was, you know, we went to a party. Um, and luckily, just luckily, he, work, he works in a gym and he keeps himself fit. He's, I think he's, he's sort of decided, no, you know, it's not for me. It's really not for me. I don't, I don't like being out of control. Um, and I'm, I don't think he's got that kind of, the kind of friends that I had, yeah. again, respectfully, that would say, don't be, 
don't be such a fucking bitch. Get yourself mm. out down this pub. We're going out. Mm. So, I mean, you know, yeah. this, I mean, there's the two things there to comment on is if you are watching this, Mummy and Daddy Bonington, uh, you know, we, I, I always kind of drag my mum and dad through this alcoholic muck. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm very aware that they did the best mm. that they could do with the very poor role models that they had when it comes to parenting yeah. and love. Yeah. They, they got themselves into a spot uh, where they had uh, four kids still living in a council house. You ain't got a pot to piss in. Oh, yeah, right. So I do think to my parents, what the fuck did you have four kids for when you got no money and, and, you, ain't got time, and you ain't got time to be with your kid? It's not like my dad was like, you know, yeah. my, my mom and dad are like the most loving. Cre- you know, like you get these people who love kids and like, let's have some more kids. My mom and dad, like, you know, not so much my mum, but my dad. It's like, yeah. Yeah. you don't want fucking kids around him. So why did he have them? You know, so... Um, <laughs> So they do, they, parents did the best that they could do. And I think the difference between now and back then, um, mm. probably because of the internet, um, yeah, maybe. is that we, we are now thinking, we are now more aware through science and through uh, mm. the, um, the ubiquitous nature of all this kind of information that's out there, that yeah. our kids are going to turn up like little versions of us so if we are going to go to the pub every week and we are going to shut off our emotions and we're going to struggle and we're you know going to behave in this way then our parents our kids are going to behave in that way so that is why like it is massively important that if we don't want our kids to smoke or we don't want our kids to drink or we don't want our kids to take drugs we don't do those things anymore we we've done them, but come on, like like what respect is your kid going to give you if you're trying to tell him not to drink? If you're going down a pub every Saturday, night? Yeah, so, well, so, you know, I, I sit here and as, again, you've got you know a young daughter, young daughter was it three year old young daughter? Yeah, what's her name? Zia. Ah, lovely name. Um, I mean, my eldest has now seen me drink. You know, he, he, not as not not very often, but he's he seen me drink back in the day, and he's seen me drunk. And he's seen me in some silly ways, but my 11-year-old will probably go the rest of his life now not seeing me drink. And no. my daughter, who's my daughter who's seven, she won't remember me drinking, and definitely my youngest will never even know that I've drunk. Mm. So I'm I'm hoping in my in my head, you know, and I'm giving them I'm giving them a gift. That's what it's, I'm doing. Your gift that you're giving them is much greater than alcohol because yeah. you stopping drinking alcohol means that you'll wake the fuck up and you'll start to think to yourself, what am I going to do for the next 60 years of my life? And you'll get stuck into it and they'll see you failing, Mm. trying, failing, trying to achieve your dreams, not not just settling for life in a factory in Dagenham. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like We've all got got to work, but there's nothing. Like I worked on the railway for 20 years. We've got to work, but there's nothing wrong with you saying, actually... I can work on a railway, but I can also travel around the world writing about poker. I just never even thought about that before because I wasn't <laughs> thinking. But now I'm not drinking and I'm thinking, yeah. okay, let's give it a go, you know? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I can't – I'm trying to explain it to – I try and explain it to my wife. Well, I, I sort of talk at my wife, should I say. Um, and I try and explain to my to my, to my friends as well. Um, and they go, you know, I don't want to ch- – they go to me, I don't want to change. And I say, oh, that's fine, that's fine. And I go, well, how do you feel now then? And I, and I say, I, I can't explain to you 
um, the the mist uh, and the cloud that sort of just you know disappeared out of anywhere, and, I, and stuff that I really didn't know that I liked. Mm. Really did not know how I, uh, how I felt, um, and really didn't know how far I could push myself. And all of a sudden, you know, I got up this morning. All right, we're on lockdown. I can do a lot more stuff because I'm not at work. But I got up and I thought, you know what? Every half hour, I'm going to do uh, 20 sit-ups. And I've done that for about seven hours. <laughs> so, and I, and I don't know why. But all I can say is I would I would never have done that if I was drinking last night on a bank holiday Monday. Yeah. That, that's, that, is, that is it. And I've been performing fun today. There you are. There you are, Lee. I didn't even know it was bank holiday Monday. Well, no, no. Right, because, because like when you stop drinking, days of the week don't mean anything. Fantastic, isn't it? I I, I, I was uh, I watched a uh, talk by Alan de Boiton, this uh, philosopher from the School of Life. He was on loneliness and connection. I fucking loved okay. it. He was on there for an hour talking about it, and uh, he said, um, "There's there's absolutely no difference between mm. staying at home and feeling lonely on a Saturday night, or staying at home and feeling lonely on a Wednesday night." But the Saturday night will feel soul crushing because you've created a story that Saturday <laughs> night is different than Wednesday night, but it ain't no different. If you no, can stay no. at home Wednesday night, bored out your mind watching Coronation Street or wherever you do, yeah. sparkling water, why is Saturday any different? It's because we've created a story that Saturday. You know, you know, watch EastEnders down in the South, don't you? Well, I used to watch EastEnders in the North <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah. But so. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I, no. Time is real. Time changes. Everything changes when you start drinking. How long have you? How long have you not been drinking for? Let everyone know. Three hundred and forty-four days. So not. So I've got yeah. I've got what is it? The twenty. Date. I can't remember what date it was. So I've got about two weeks. Three weeks. Sorry, three weeks. I've got about three weeks, and it's been a year. But prior to that, I'd done. Um, I'd done a three-month stint. And then prior to that, I'd done a, a dry January, you know, like mm. everyone does. And then, you, but you know, at the end of it, you're going to get day drinking again, and it just eases the pain of my poor little liver and kidneys over Christmas. And then before that, I'd done a—is a, it Stoptober? Is it Stoptober? I do a Stoptober kind of thing. So I, I, I was just obviously I was in the garden today thinking about things that maybe I want to sort of say when you ask questions. Um, I think. Um, the way I got to where I got to is it was a culmination of like a years, to be honest with you. I had, a, I had like a, a stint between the age of 17 to, uh, when did I mean? 24, where I went traveling um, and I'd done drinking. Well, most most days of drinking. And then I come back and went on boys' holidays and it was more and more drinking. And I'd done football and still played football Saturdays and Sundays, but that just, it was basically just to go drinking. Mm. You know, Sundays were a whole day of getting up to play. Saturday was football at two, drinking. Go home, early hours, get up, play football. Straight after that, go drinking. Football's play on the Play football drunk. Yeah, play football drunk. Um, how, how I play football, I do not know sometimes, mm. um, especially when I think about my nutrition now and the way I feel now. And then, um, and then I met my wife. So... Who doesn't really drink too much anyway? She's not. She's not bothered whatsoever about drinking. She can take it or leave it, which is a lovely area to be in, I think. Yeah. But then she realised quite quickly that I like. I like to drink. I didn't drink in the you know in the weeks indoors and cans. You know, I know some people who might you know drink four or five cans a night. I just didn't do that. 
but I'd get to Friday or any, any, you know, I'd, I would go drinking to, you know, I'd, I'd celebrate to an opening of an envelope, you know what I mean? Mm. So I'd, I'd drink that kind of way and, but I wouldn't know, I just wouldn't know when to stop. I just would not know when to stop. Uh, and I think about the, some of the things I think about like the other, when my wife went away to a Hindu and I, I ended up going out after work and I work in the construction industry. So I'm up London, uh, someone's birthday, I had a drink, um, drink, 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 drink. And then I ended up in Fulham or in East Putney, should I say, uh, at my men's house, which is basically the other side of London mm. from where I was. And I could, all I could have done was got on a train and go home that night. And I didn't. And I woke up and I thought, oh, shit. And I went, I've got to get home. So I went home, took me two and a half hours to get home. And when I got home, I then realised that my wife was going on a, on a hen weekend. And she went out and she just walked out the door uh, and that was it. Left me with the, I had three kids at the time um, and hungover, three kids, wife gone away for the weekend. And when I think back now, I was an absolute asshole to her. Mm. All I'd done was pester her for the whole weekend because of how bad I felt about myself. And what I'd done, and the guilt that I'd put on myself, because all I could have done was gone home. But that's that, you know, that's just one story of what it what it does to me. And we've had so many. I don't. I honestly don't know how she's kept kept going with me. But um, maybe my boy when he started playing uh, handball, which is a great little sport, and um, he started playing out of school, and they won the nationals, and then he ended up on the the sort of uh, England setup, and and I was just looking at him, thinking, wow, what a picture of elf, you know? Yeah. Um, and being from Essex as well, you know, the only way is Essex and all that kind of thing. These kids around here, I'm not too sure about where you are, but the kids around here, they look after themselves, luckily. And I don't think drinking is part of their game. And um, my boy went on to do some nice stuff. And, and then I got into sort of nutrition. Mm. I don't know why. But that, I think, but just prior to that, a few years before that, I started, you know, slowly but surely trying to piece bits and pieces together. Mm. Um, we'll talk about the, we'll talk about the nutrition in a minute, and uh, yeah. but um, I'm interested in you. You did a, a three month stint, so yes. this is I assume when you're in the stuck phase, right? Which is what I wanted to talk to you yeah. about. Why did yeah. you decide to stop for three months? Was there a rock bottom moment? Did something happen? And then how did it feel in the three months? And why did you drink again? I'll, I'll be honest, I can't remember why. Why I've done it, but I think it's because I'd done the uh, Stoptober. So I'd done Stoptober, and then I knew Christmas was coming up. So right, you know, let's re- let's rewind then. Why did you do Stoptober? Um, probably, if I can recall it, it would probably be because I had a heavy night or a heavy weekend. And usually, after a heavy weekend of drinking with friends, family, or whatever it was, I would be on that train on a Monday morning kicking myself to bits, kicking myself, saying, I oh, know I don't want to do this no more. I know I don't want to do it. Right. Um, and I'll be texting my wife. My wife knew when, I, when she'd get the text message on the Monday morning, I'll be on the train and I'll be thinking, I've got a week of hell because I feel like shit and, I, and I've done this to myself once again. So it was probably off of the back of a, a session and then I'd done the Stoptober and that, mu- that month, you know, I had so many people texting me again, how are you getting on? How are you getting on? Oh, man, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this. And I'm like, fucking what? <laughs> Where's, your faith? Where's your faith in me? It was 30 days, you know, and uh, but it was hard. And it was hard. What did you find the most difficult about it? Myself and looking 
how do I say this? Uh, people judging me, you know, friends, mates of mine who, who, who all like a good drink, and you go around there to have a good drink and have a good fuck, good, good laugh as such. Um, so I was worried. I was worried about what people would think of me mm. um, and whether they want to be with, you know, somebody who doesn't drink. And, that, and, and I suppose that goes back to the, the early, early days, teenage years, where I was doing something, but sort of over here was, you know, pulling me. So I mean, it, 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 it was hard. I've got to admit, it was hard. It sounds like it's, uh, it's like the typical paradox of addiction where you – you feel in your gut, you're basically a reluctant drinker, right? You feel in your gut that this isn't right. You mm. try to do the October sober, but mm. worried what other people will think. So you basically you're worried about being alone and disconnected. Yeah. But what we don't realize is when we drink, we become more lonely and disconnected. Yeah. So, it so it's like such a paradox, right? Yeah. Monday morning, I was alone, you know? I was on the train going to work and I was alone and I, I, and I don't want to... Uh, I, I try and say this to my wife, I don't want to bat on about it and say, you know, I was all done by and I, and I, I was so depressed and whatever. You are. That Monday, usually on that Monday morning, if I'd had a good drink over the weekend, especially, especially if I'd missed Sunday night football, because I love playing football and I liked, I liked the fact, I liked the feeling of motion and I liked the feeling of being around sport. Mm. So if I missed it, and I'd beat myself up about it the next day because that's where I wanted to be and that's how I wanted to feel. Mm. I wanted to feel like, I'd, you know, my heart was racing because I'd just played football or any kind of sport. But, yeah, that, that Monday morning was lonely and um, being like that, I'd rather, I'd rather have not been like that and just been back to a Saturday night with your friends because you don't feel as, you don't feel, you don't feel on your own. You know, I'm, I'm going to switch this back to me a little bit, and then you yeah, can t- you can tell me if there's any uh, um, parallels here. So, because I think this is a real good learning point for people listening. Mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on the loneliness a little bit and mm-hmm. connection. So, you know, you said, for example, there that you know what the reason that you didn't want the reason that the the Stocktober was hard was effectively mm-hmm. you you were worried that you'd be alone, so like your mm-hmm. friends would leave you. Taking a piss out of you is not nice anyway, but ultimately they leave you and you've got no friends, right? Mm. So, um, and then you said that you would feel really lonely. So you'd go out with one on the weekend and you feel, and then the loneliness would kick in on, on a Monday, right? Mm. Now, for me, what I realized looking back is that the loneliness didn't kick in for me on a Monday. The loneliness was always there. So bear with me a minute. So yeah. I had this decision about whether I'm going to drink or not. And I don't want to drink, but I'm worried that if I don't drink, I'll be alone. Mm-hmm. So I drink, right? Yep. Thinking I'm not going to be alone. Mm. But I am alone yeah. because, because I'm, I'm, though I'm with them and I'm mm. drinking with them and I'm laughing with them and I'm putting my head through a window with them and I'm having sex with women in toilets with them, I'm not really with them because that's not who I am. No. Right? Sure. So, so, so. I'm learning now you can be intensely lonely surrounded by people you love yeah. because, because they don't know who you are and you're not confident and courageous enough to be who you are. Mm. So for me, it was more than just, oh, I'm lonely now. I've got an hangover. I just didn't realize at the time that I was never alone. Do you know how I know it now? I'm not friends with any of those people anymore. <laughs> 
So you just saying that, you know, you, you, you actually saying that to me is just literally, you know, I've just told you that I was alone on a Monday, but when I think about it now, I was alone in my head because I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. So that's, I suppose, yeah, I mean, that, that makes, it makes, it makes sense really. Um, yeah, I can't, that, the, yeah, lonely, that it was not nice. And it, it wasn't nice to even, yeah, some, some day when I was out and we was drinking with friends and that, I just knew, and that's no disrespect to any person, anyone that I know, because they're all lovely people. But I was lying, completely lying to my. I've been lying to myself for so so long, completely lying to my to myself, um, and lying to my own my own soul, which is strange. I think but, I think our friends can be. I, I think we. I think it's fair for us, and I think it's fair for us to acknowledge toxic toxic environments mm-hmm. and toxic people for the lifestyle we want to lead. But that doesn't mean they're bad people. So my yeah. friend, my friends are toxic people for me because the things that they like to do and what they're interested in, it, it derails me. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. it, it 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 makes me go. It makes me want to do what they're doing. So I so that's toxic to me. But they're yeah. still lovely people, you know. Yeah. And but but it, they're just not my people. Yeah, I spoke about that with my wife in the garden a couple of hours ago. We were just sitting there chatting, and um, that sort of it sort of came up. Um, I said, "So, do you think do you think that people want us to be out me be out anymore with them?" Or and she said, "What are we talking about?" I said, "Do you think they need do they see it all a little bit differently and maybe won't get invited to places?" I know we're in lockdown, and we're not, no one's been invited to anywhere. Yeah, but you know, do you, you, you I still sometimes think that. Um, but I, think I have learned to uh, brush that aside a little bit and say, you know, because uh, I'm sure you know, you go to a party um, and an hour in, two hours in, most people couldn't give a shit if you're drinking or not. They really no. couldn't. No. They really couldn't. They're, you know, they're in their own little element, you know. They're, I've done it on New Year's Eve and I was really worried about this New Year's Eve um, because we was going out to a, a local uh, football club. Um, everyone was there, all the friends, all the, you know, all the kids. Um, and I was really worried that night um, because it was the first big night out, really, that I'd had that was um, a drinking night, you know, New Year's Eve. Mm. But I got to kind of 11 o'clock, and I looked around and I thought, you know, they really couldn't give a shit if I was drinking or not. No, no, so, no, no, it's more than that, Lee. Think, about, th- think about this. Go on. This is a really important point for people listening, folks. Gold mm-hmm. Nugget just slipped out of Lee's mouth. He said that they couldn't give a shit if he was drinking. No, they couldn't give a shit that he existed. Yeah, right. This is really important, folks, right? Yeah. We think we had this deep connection with our friends. We think that that deep connection is lubricated and assisted or needed to have alcohol with it. But you need to understand that when you drink alcohol, you become disconnected from people. You become very selfish, become very self-centered. And you, 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 it's almost like your body and your soul is overtaken by some demon. It's no, you know, back in the temperance movement of the United States, right? When they uh, had prohibition, they actually thought genuinely that alcohol was a devil, that like when you drank, the devil took over your soul. And Zara Sita, who's been a guest on the Alcondition podcast, she wrote a brilliant article about how when she goes to nightclubs, she sees these souls tethered to the bodies 
and then they've been invaded by these different demons. Now, think about, I'm not saying demons exist, folks, but my I run my mom the other day on Zoom, right? I run my mom on Zoom the other day, and she came on, and I got really upset because she was drunk. And when I look at my mom when she's drunk, she changes physically. Yeah. One eye looks up here, one eye's down here. She looks older. She looks like a witch. She looks nasty, and she mm-hmm. talks different. And I don't like it. It's like a different mm-hmm. person, right? And we want to be connected to that. Of course we don't. When we're sober, we realize we don't want to be connected to it at all. So the reason we're drinking is because we're, we are terrified of being <laughs> alone with these people. Yeah. Like compost mentis, right? It's like. Nah, man, my, my wife used to sort of go, you've had a good drink. And I'll go, no, I haven't. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much. That's what yeah. I say all the time. I say, I'm fine. Thank you very much. I said, well, your right eye says something different. My fucking eye, you know, used to hang down by the edge of my chin. Yeah. It's like, weird. It wrong, isn't it? It's weird. Um, and uh, so she knew straight away if I'd had a drink, even if it was a couple. My eye just seems to sort of go. So it's, that's very strange you should say that. Yeah, it made me, that's made me laugh that as a little bit. If I'm well, I mean, taking, taking that to, to COVID, you know, like, I'm again, I'm using my mum and, and dad as an example. Um, purely because it's just a good example, I guess, right? Yeah. So my mum and dad are now stuck in the house, can't mm-hmm. go out anywhere, right? So here are two incredibly lonely people stuck in the house with each other, with no way of communicating with each other. Yeah, That terrifies them so much, yeah. they drink alcohol. They yeah. don't drink alcohol so they can connect. They drink alcohol because they're terrified of connecting. Yeah, and they're yeah. and they're forced almost like it's almost like the world is forcing them to connect, and they're like they're looking at each other on the say, and yeah. like, I don't know what to say to him. Give me a fucking beer, quick! Not so they can talk to him, but so they can just get lost in their own in their own world. Uh, I totally agree. I totally uh, what you're saying there sort of resonates with myself and my wife. You know, when when I when I decided to do do this, she was more nappy. I mean, she was like, yeah, man, but she'd heard it all before as well. So. um I was re- when I started getting right into the sort of six months and whatever, I then really thought to myself, well, what if I become different? What if I become a little, little less talkative, a little less um, interesting because I'm, I'm not drinking and she doesn't like me and it's not the bloke that she married, mm. not the fun loving kind of guy, you know, who's like a good drunk. I wasn't a horrible drunk, by the way, but, um, you know, a, a good drunk to her. But she said, no, no, no. She said, I, I don't want that person. I want the, the man that I know when I wake up in the morning and have breakfast with, that's the man I want, not, not the one that I've got freaking put my arm around and try to get me into bed, that kind of one. Mm. So the connection side of it, in a, in a strange way as well, though, I quite, in, I quite, like, I'm quite like the fact that maybe I'll be a little bit disconnected from people, not in, a, not in a horrible sense, but maybe it'll open up a few sort of truths about really what I, what I thought about people because mm. we don't connect on a, on a level up if we're not drinking you know I don't, I don't know yeah that's, that's a strange one but yeah I'll try, well, I'll try and unravel that myself somehow you, you, I mean I had this conversation with my boy yesterday he's 18 right okay. so he's been having problems with his mum's drinking mm-hmm. and uh, he rings me up every now and then crying in a fit of despair yeah. and then after a couple of days I'll I'll let him kind of calm down and I'll say, let's have a chat about it. And he'll say, nah, nah, it's all right, dad. Nah, it's okay now. So I rang him up and I said, you know, 
I was, I was going to want to talk about your your mum, and he's like, no, and he's playing on his video game, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, no, not really. So I'm like, okay. He said, I just want to chill, Dad. Like Saturday, what chill? Okay. So I'm like, so what are you up to? What are you up to then? Oh, you know, work and working out. Or anything else? No. How's work going? No, it's all right. You know. Yeah. And then I said, um, do you want me to call you back another time? Oh, yeah. no, no, you can't even talk to me if you like. I went, actually, I, I will call you back another time. So I put a phone down and I went for a walk and then I left him a long message. And this is what I basically said to him was, for me, you find connection in sharing your weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. Not, not in talking about your strengths. And yeah. if I call somebody up or have a conversation with someone, and I'm talking about the weather or I'm talking about Call of Duty or I'm talking about how Fulham did last night. And that's it. And there's nothing wrong with like how Fulham did last night, but that's it. Yeah. yeah. I get disconnected from someone. But if I'm able to say to someone, hey, how's it going? They say, really shit. Why is that? Why is it so shit? It's shit because I, I just I'm really struggling with uh, Ralph. Like, I just yeah. can't connect with him, and I feel really bad as a dad as a result. Now I'm connected to you because you've been vulnerable, you've been open, and I can, I can go, wow, I'm really struggling with Zia right now. Now we're connecting, and our relationship and our love for each other is going to grow. We're going to trust each other more, and our relationship is going to build up, right? We mm-hmm. don't have those conversations when we're drinking alcohol. You don't have them. <laughs> What happens is you get pissed and you fucking slur over each other and spit over each other and, and slaver over each other and talk shit yeah. and, and offload stuff without any boundaries that you don't even remember you're doing, right? So for right. me, it's like, look, when you stop drinking alcohol, your your relationship is going to change with people and especially your wife. And don't think it's going to be all Rosie's mind. I, I fight no. to no. for nail with Liza. And the reason is, is because none of us, Drink so we we feel our feelings a bit more. Yeah, then you're not numb to them. No, you know? so you have to deal with a lot more yeah. shit that comes up. Than oh, you without know. a doubt, without without a doubt, I've, I have dealt with so many feelings and, and faults, um, and we've probably had a, a, a few more arguments than what I thought we had with me not drinking. Mm. But quicker do we get over them? You know, drinking and, and rowing and uh, about drinking just takes forever because it's, it, for me, again, back to the Monday mornings and stuff like that, every every few days after that, I'll still have the ump. So mm-hmm. I've not only have I got the ump myself, I've had around my missus, and that just leads to more and more and more. But we've had we've had arguments, and we still do over kids, money, you know, yeah. everything you can think of. But my thought process, my thought trail is a lot clearer. So usually I, I would have gone off, I'd go off on it, you know, and go, no, nah, I'm going to be great. But now I sort of, Take, not, I do take a deep breath and think, I'm going to walk yeah, away from I, fu- I fucked that right up. <laughs> yeah. how, many, how many times do you say yourself, yeah. I fucked that right up? Yeah. So I just walk away now, you mm. know, and um, and then we sit down quietly quietly more and talk about things. Mm. Like today we sat out there, we had a few mm. things to chat about, and we, mm. we got them out, little bits and pieces, and, and, and that feels good. That felt so much better. And yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big journey. It's a big journey for me, but... Um, I just I just want to rewind a little bit before yeah, we finish. You know, when yeah. when you did, when you did the three month, you did the October thing, and you did the three month. Yeah, I'm interested in learning before I let you go. How how did the three month experience feel? Why did you drink again? And then what changed? How did you jump from 
what I call a stuck phase to the action phase. And now you're in what I call the vigilance phase. How how did you get there? What happened? So so the three months went really, really well, to be honest, because I think I was getting getting closer and closer to to processing what it was going to take for me to stop drinking, who who I was going to piss off, who who I know was going to stand next to me, uh, whether I was drunk or not. The people that um, I knew love me. Uh, also, I visualised. I could. I literally visualised in my head where I want to be, where I want to be when I'm fucking sixty-five years old. You know, mm. um, seventy years old. Where I want to be and how I want to feel. So I, I had that in my head. But I got to. I got to the end of that three months. I don't know why. I don't. Know, I'm not too sure why it was three months. Maybe I. Tr- yeah, I'm not too sure. I think I might have seen the ninety days uh, thing with uh, Andy Ramage. It's not far from me. If I yeah. Enough. I think I see that on the internet, and I just thought, well, I'm just going to give that a go, whatever it is. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get involved, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give that a go. And I did that, and then I remember going down to our local sort of social club with our friends, and I hadn't been drinking. Everyone knew I wasn't drinking, which was okay. But that day, I had it in my head, you know, I'm going to have a drink, and um, I don't know why, but I sat there with my wife, and I sat next to my wife the whole day, and. The blokes were up the bar doing what we usually do, you know, standing at a bar and watching a football, shouting and screaming at the TV. Mm. And I sat with my wife all day and I didn't move out of her fucking sight because every time I had a drink, I kept saying to her, is that all right? And she'd go, yeah, you're all right. Yeah, she didn't ever tell me, she never told me not to because mm. you're not a bad drunk, you, you know, you, I, I know how much you struggle after. So, and then I had another one, and I said, is that all right? She said, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry, don't worry. And I'd, I, I'd done quite a few drinks that night. But when I woke up that next morning, I didn't feel, too, I didn't feel bad or grog or anything. I sat, I, thought, I sat next to my wife the whole night going, is that all right? Mm. Is that all right? Because I, I wanted her to, to say, I actually wanted her to say, no, fucking stop, you know? I don't want you to do no more. You needed help. Yeah, I needed that to, for her to say stop, but she didn't because she doesn't. She's you know because I think she was quite good in it. She said, "But I didn't want to do it yourself. I ain't going to tell you to stop because if I tell you, you know, it doesn't matter." It did doesn't you matter. do this? Did you do this yourself then, all through willpower? I done it's all willpower, and I, I, and I got up that day and I said, "Never, never again." Um, and and I can only put that down to, as I said, I think maybe for me, everyone's different, but the culmination of those years of knowing I didn't want to do it, but then especially with the kids and the wife and, the, and your job and um, feeling like crap, getting up in the morning, feeling like crap, you've got three kids still to four kids to look after. It, it become a bit monotonous and it become a bit boring to me. Um, and also I've become very comfortable in my life. I've got, I've got too comfortable with it all. And I thought, shit, this ain't pushing myself. This ain't me living. I ain't, I ain't doing this. I ain't, I, ain't, I ain't living up. This ain't, this ain't what I am. I've been doing mm. this for 20 years. I don't want to do it no more. I don't want to get up on a Saturday morning and think, fuck, I've got to take my boys to football. I'll be into it. I don't want to. I want to wake up and go, I'm taking my boy football this morning. I cannot wait. I'm taking my daughter dancing today and I cannot wait. And I still want that energy when I get home to make dinner. Mm. And I still want to get up the next day and play football myself. And then I want to get home Sunday night and I'll sit down and watch a film with my wife and then go to bed and get up on Monday morning and feel fucking awesome. Mm. And, that, and, that, and that sort of really hit home and I said it to my wife and she looked at me and she said, I've heard it all before, Lee. I've heard it all before, you know? And she, I thought, she is. She must have heard it a thousand times now. And, uh, you know, but I knew, I knew, I literally knew in my heart, I knew in my heart, I knew in my head that this is where I wanted to do it. And I'd passed my nutrition, my, my level three nutritional sports nutrition course. 
I didn't know how I was going to use it. Um, I probably, I still don't know how I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. But it, it gives me something to go, you know what, you know, man, it's the first thing you've done since you've left school where you've put your head down and done something and it meant something to you. So that pushed me on. And luckily, and yeah, and I think, I, literally, I just think it was because I was ready and I had the, and, and I've, I've got the bollocks to do it, and I know I have, and it's just realising you've got the bollocks to do it. One one question on that. If we, if we go all the way back to where this started and it, your journey seemed to start <clears throat> like most uh, young lads in the UK, it came from a kind of almost like this is a rite of passage, we're going to drink, yeah. you know, everybody drinks. Yeah. But then when you try to stop, you think to yourself, I'm going to be lonely, people aren't going to like me. So where are you on that now? Um. I am, I like me. That's where I am. I like me. And uh, I didn't realise how much I like me. And I like the fact that I'm quite quiet, you know, um, not as in quiet, you know, I still have fun and do all sorts of silly things. And I'm quite loud with the kids and having fun. But I mean, quiet in my age, you know, I can sit there for hours and just think about stuff. Um, and, and, And I'm quite happy with myself more than anything. I'm happy that I'm happy I'm not drinking, obviously, but I'm 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 happy I'm happy that people might like they might like me, they might not. They might like me for drinking, they, that's fine. If you like me when I was drinking, great. But if you, if if I'm not drinking then you don't like me, that's there's nothing I could do about that. Did did you did you realise hang on, did you because I got a lot of people on Strive who yeah. are in the same spot you used to be. Yeah. Who are worried that their friends won't like them. So I'll ask you a question. Yeah. Did your feedback match your perception so you had a perception that your friends wouldn't like you mm. did that happen and and did you not give a toss or did that not happen no i i've got uh, you know um, a lot of the fellas I, was, I grew up with at school are still my friends now you know we've got our whatsapp groups and we all still see each other um and it was all about drinking so i was worried about that but it just turns out that i'd say 99 percent of them all turned to me and said lee We've known you 20 years, man, you know. We we don't need you just for drinking. We, we like you always. Whatever it is, whatever you're doing, we like. I've noticed that peripheral people that you may not see a lot um, and a lot of people at work, I'm a project manager at a, 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 a construction site, um, and there's a lot of people that I like and you talk to and you feel that you might have to go for a beer with, all of a sudden, they swerve you. Yeah. But really... You, you couldn't give a shit, and they're not. They're not. No, this is important. They're not. They're, they're not. not they're, they're not swerving. They're not swerving us. This is really important because on, yeah. we we get into this mindset that obviously I'm. I don't know. If this is true, but this is my thought: is they're not swerving us because they don't like us. They're swerving no, us no, because no. it it makes them look at themselves. Yes, without a doubt. That's definitely. That's, that's maybe that was the wrong word to use, but yes. Mm. Um, it, it basically you're putting a mirror in front of them and. Um, yeah, a lot of them, it makes, yeah, it makes them question themselves. I've said this at the start to my wife about this, you know, people, what, at the start, at the start, they may have been a little bit, fucking hell, he's not drinking, you know what I mean? Um, and they might look at you, oh, fucking hell, here he comes, you know, with his non-drinking, my wife's going to fucking love him. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, so it makes it, I suppose, in a weird way, yeah, it, it, it makes them look at each other themselves. Um, and if that, uh, my mate said it to me the other day, my, 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 you know, one of my best pals, he said, like, I don't want to change. I said, I'm not trying to change you. I said, but maybe, but he also said, he was running and maybe he said, I don't want to change, but something that you're doing might just spark something in me. Mm. 
Yeah, That's just be you. be the role model you can be for yeah, your kids, so for your wife. Yeah. Something, and, and for him to even just say it, it was a little seed sown there. I know there was, mm. you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm again. I, I don't. It doesn't bother me what he does, um, but he, as long as they understand why you're doing it, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. And you're, you're, you're coming to like a, a year now. Do you ever get triggered to drink? I had a tr- I, <laughs> again, I had a trigger today. I was sitting there. It's, it's obviously a lovely day uh, down in, in, in sunny Essex. And I'm off work and um, the kids have got the pool thing out. And I was on a sun lounger. And I thought, oh, man, I could smash a beer. Hmm. And I did. And I thought, I, said, I, just, I just thought myself, I can't get a beer. And she went, really? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, and every time the barbecue comes out, Mm. I feel like I've got to have a beer. Um, but luckily, you know, I know those feelings pass. You know, I think that for a few seconds, like a bit of a smell or something, you think, oh, you know, that's cool. Yeah. I'm a bit like that in football coming back, you know. I, was look- I wasn't looking forward to Euros this year because it-, it all becomes about drinking, you know, down a pub and stuff Well, because like it's nostalgia, isn't it? You think back yeah, exactly. to yeah. your old, you know, New York <laughs> night. Are you old enough to remember uh, 96? Yes, yeah. I am. I've been watching it on ITV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I rem- I remember getting World Cups and European mm-hmm. Champs. Just getting. Sm- I remember the worst one was. I think it was Korea. Yeah, was it two thousand two? It was early in the morning, so like the yeah, game early morning, like eight nine. So you'd yeah. get up, you'd get up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, get smashed for the game. <laughs> And then the game would finish at 10 and you had the entire day ahead of you with a hangover or you just drunk all day. It's fucking crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Our friend's, our friend's dad, was a pub, he owned the pub and he just said, like, come, come, you might as well stay the night. And we stayed the night and then watched the football. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I haven't got the energy no more to do that. Full no, shit, you know, no. Energy, Lee, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Really appreciated learning more about you. Well <laughs> done. What you've done, it's not easy. And uh, thank you for being a role model for, like I said, your children, your wife, yeah. your mates, and uh, everybody listening to this podcast. So thanks for joining us. Not a problem, man. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Alcohol Addiction Podcast. Now, before you run away, just a few things, okay? So the next time we run the 1000 Day Sober Experience, our program that guides you and helps you to become 1,000 days sober. So that's 2.7 years, folks, right? It's the only long-term program in the world where we're with you constantly to help and guide you through the six stages of the Strive Model for Change. We get you through being stuck. We get you through thinking and the ambivalence around drinking alcohol. We get you through the research phase of making some change. We get you through the change we manage you through that change and then after that with alcohol in the rearview mirror we help you to evolve to live a fulfilled life to do that incredibly important post recovery work which so many people so many organizations out there dismiss or just don't even cover at all right so we got you back for 1000 days the next time we run an experience will be in july but do not wait until then The best thing that you can do right now is to get over to www.1000daysober.com and sign up to be a member of Strive today, okay? It is £40 a month subscription. That includes uh, the 1000 Days Sober experience. It includes uh, online workshop. It includes online meetings. It includes guidance from our ambassadors. It includes one-on-one meetings with our incredible Strive coaches 
who are uh, skilled at a vast array of important elements of your life that are gonna drive up and increase your physical and mental health. And by joining now, you get used to the environment, you get used to the community, you get used to the people, and when by the time July comes along, you'll be firing on all cylinders, kind of roaring to get into the 1000 Days Sober Experience. So do that today, really, really important. If you want to get the show notes for today, the show notes are exceptional, folks. You get the show notes from today's episode, you want to get a full transcription of today's episode, and you want to get a special workbook um, that will give you some, some fun and interesting questions based on today's episode that you can help that will um, one-up your life, right? Then get over to www. 1000daysober.com you will find the link there and sign up give us your email address and we will give you uh, we will give you these things free of charge okay and on that 40 pounds a month if you do not have the money if you are struggling financially then email me at the truth by alcohol at gmail.com and we'll figure something out do not let money get in your way of becoming 1000 days sober and just because we go 1000 days sober right don't be worried about that if you're not quite ready to quit yet the first stage of the Strive Model for Change is called Stuck. The second stage is called Thought. And we do not expect you to stop drinking whilst you're doing that work. And that will take you a good four to five months. So you get a lot of grace. We will meet you where you're at in your addiction to alcohol. Don't worry about that, okay? We take on everybody. People who are desperately trying to stop drinking and people who stop drinking and they just want help putting their life back together, okay? Um, lastly, if you enjoyed listening to our condition podcast, then please rate and review it on your local provider, whether that would be Apple or SoundCloud or whatever. Uh, just give us a nice review and some nice stars. You can find us on Instagram at 1000daysober.com or 1000daysober. And you can find us on YouTube, 1000daysober as well. All right, take care of yourselves, folks. Ciao, ciao.